there is no God. And really, again, the definition is a fool who expects one thing and is going to get another. And there's going to come a time in life, at the moment where we pass from this life to the next life, that those who expect there is no God, there is no place of judgment, there is no reckoning to what you believe and how your life was lived, they're going to find out that they were a fool. When they will find the reality that there is a God, and he is going to be their judge. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're actually finished this morning the best sermon ever. And as we've gone through this series, an extremely practical one, we, we could have spent much more time in this sermon because the depth of it is beyond a measure. Uh, but in this message that Jesus gave, he, he began with what's familiarly known as the Beatitudes. And with that, he makes a plea for them to get it. To be people who are blessed. And who, who wouldn't want to be considered blessed or experience the blessing of God? And, and he gives some prerequisites for that. And, and begins by saying it's a matter of the heart. And if somehow you feel that you can just kind of slide in into a relationship with God, Jesus in the very beginning says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and he, he talks about those who need to mourn and those who need to hunger and thirst for righteousness and those who need to realize that if you're going to get in, then your righteousness needs to surpass the righteousness of the most religiously righteous people that day. And so he pleads for them to get it. And what he does when, he's, when he gives out the description of those who can get in on it, it surprises some. Because so many of them felt the only people who got in it were those who were kind of born in it, into it, that, that had certain religious or, or biblical training, those who, who were admired by others because of their appearances. And he struck them very clearly. It's, it's really a matter of the heart. So he pleaded for them, for them to get it. And, and then he proceeded to talk to them, well, what does it really mean if you get it? You're going to have to live it. And as you've been through this series, if you've ever read through the Sermon on the Mount, you recognize that Jesus really speaks to the heart and he really cuts us to the, to the core. Because if you compare the, the Sermon on the Mount to the Ten Commandments, our, our, our fuller understanding to recognize that, that we can be considered murderers if we have said things in our heart to other people and destroy them with our tongue. That we can be considered adulterers if we are filled with lust in our mind. And he goes on and on and on and talks about our attitude toward wealth and toward worry, toward values. And he really speaks that, that if we're going to be connected to the king, then we need to have a kingdom lifestyle. But within all that, there's that hope that, that his presence in there, it's not a matter of us trying to do it on our own, it's his life, living his life through us and in us. But as he gives them a message of hope, at the very end, he wants to make sure that not only did they get it and they understand how to live it, but did they really, did they really get it? And I guess the message for us this morning, have we gotten it as it relates to God? And Jesus speaks so clearly in the words that we're going to read this morning. Hopefully you're all in a life group because as we uh, emphasize life groups this week, we're going to be emphasizing prayer. But as you go through the message on Sunday morning, we have opportunity to, to dialogue and speak about it and study a little bit further. And, and last week in the life group that, that meets in our home, I don't lead that one. We have another person who leads that. And in it, he made a, a remark about the message last week. and said, well, the pastor preached and he had 400 points. All right. <laughs> well, this week I had three and I might only get to one. All right. 
So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, uh, we're going to begin. And basically the message is very simple. It is that God wants us to understand there are words of worship and there are words of warning. And it's always good news and bad news. It's good news if we follow after it and respond to what Jesus has for us. It's bad news if we turn a deaf ear. So these can either be words of worship that just say, this, this, I'm in, I'm all in. Or it's going to be words of warning. You need to take heed because judgment is coming. First point this morning, very simply put. Some who say it or sing it don't really mean it. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, here are two verses that really you need to read slowly or you, you kind of miss it, even though it's right there on the surface. If you have your own Bibles or even in the outline, I want you to circle a few words here that really emphasize over and over again what Jesus is, is saying to his audience then as well as to us now. Enter by that narrow gate. Circle the word narrow. For wide, circle the word wide is the gate and broad, circle that word, broad is the way that leads to, and then circle that next word, to destruction. And there are many, circle the word many, who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult, circle the word difficult, is the way which leads to life, circle the word life, and there are few, circle that word, few who find it. And with those key words, you really have Jesus giving some challenges to that audience and say, look at it, you need to understand that these are either or questions I'm, I'm throwing out to you. Sometimes in the small groups, I will write out questions where to provoke discussion and, and sometimes people, they don't want to answer the question like I, I pose it. They want to insert a different option. And if you are in the group last week, one of the things we had was, was as you think about being judgmental, it's all right to judge, but being judgmental, do you find yourself tending to be too easy with people or too, too hard on people? And I try to present it as an either or because we have a tendency to be one or the other. We're, we're, just, we're so kicked back, we're so loving, so gracious, we're really easy with people. Or on the other end, man, we're quick to criticize, quick to make a judgment, being judgmental, and we're kind of hard on people. And, and I understood if I, as I said that question, there is the gray, the gray area in between. But I wanted you to be on one side or the other. And that's, with that question, too easy or too hard, it's easily to see where the middle ground is. But I want us all to understand here, Jesus, with this question or these statements gave no middle ground he really presents it there there are two gates there are two ways there are two groups and there's two ends there's nothing in between you either in or you're out either you've gone through the right gate or the wrong gate either you're on the right path or the wrong path either you're in the group that's making it or the group that's not making it Either you're headed in one destination or another destination. There is no middle ground. There is no grading on the curve. This is pass or fail. There isn't A, B, C, D, and F. So, so Jesus 
puts it as plainly as he could. And, and he scribes these gates and ways and destinations and groups with, with adjectives that describe the, how you would put those areas into your heart, into your mind. How, how did he describe the gates? There are two gates. One is narrow and one is wide. Now, interesting enough, as I was looking at this, trying to be honest as I could with my approach to, to hearing this, if I had heard it for the very first time, I'm thinking what Jesus is presenting is something I don't want to hear. And secondly, if I were to be honest, that's not the direction I would go. For instance, if you had an opportunity to go in a narrow gate or a, a wide gate, which would you prefer? I would prefer the wide gate. Or put it another way, let's all get in a car right now. If you had the decision to get in a narrow parking spot or a wide parking spot, and let's say you had a nice vehicle that you didn't want to get scratched, which parking spot would you go in? We'd all go in the wide one. And so Jesus said, I want you to understand this life has an option. And you can go the narrow one or the wide one. Most of you want to go the wide one, but... It's the narrow one you've got to choose. And then he says, I want you to understand there, there are two ways. And then he describes this. There's the, the, the way that's broad, and then the way that is difficult. Now, some of you have traveled in various parts of the world. In various parts of the world, there are, there, there are roads that you know, are narrow, so narrow that when you're driving, you kind of squish your shoulders, you're thinking the car's going to you know, squish. I mean, you have got to be extremely careful when you're driving down certain lanes in certain countries because there's not a whole lot of give on either side. Uh, we visited Matt this last year over in Cyprus, and uh, I clipped a few uh, branches of uh, some vehicles with my side mirrors, you know. It was just narrow. I was also on the opposite side of the road. We won't go into that. But, you know, would you rather go down a broad highway or a, a difficult one? Or to put it a different way. Again, you're in your same vehicle, and let's say you just had your car aligned. Are you going to go down a paved highway, or are you going to go down where it's a dirt road with all kinds of ruts and holes and everything else in it? I'm going down the paved highway. And Jesus said, you've you got to decide here. There, there is a way in which most people go, and you're either going to choose that, or you're going to choose the one least traveled. In fact, that's really what he says next. He said, as far as the two types of group, there are those who, who follow one path or one gate, and many go down that path, and only a few take the other. Have anybody ever been lost? I mean, uh, physically lost? Uh, sometimes we have, we've had discussions in our small groups just to get people talking again. Now, when you're lost, do, do you, uh, you try to figure it out yourself, or do you ask for directions, and now, well, I go to my GPS, and you see those people go on the GPS and actually drove into the, the ocean, you know, lakes and rivers and stuff like that. But I mean, are you a person, when you get lost, do you feel like you figure out your way or do you just do whatever you can to find someone who knows a little bit more than you? Well, the feeling of being lost, whether you try to figure it out yourself or whether you ask direction, is, a, is an empty feeling. And Jesus wants us to know that there are many people who are going down the path in which they're going to get lost. And, and when you're lost sometimes, and I've heard people, I've said it, I've heard other people say, maybe there isn't anybody you can really ask, and you're looking at groups of people, and you see a bunch of people going down a certain direction. Maybe it's at a, 
you're trying to go into a sporting event, you're not sure exactly when the, the, the place is, and you say, well, there's a lot of people going down that way. I think we'll just follow them. Because everybody can't be wrong. And there's only a few people going down the other path. It's just natural. You're going to go where the crowd goes. And Jesus says there, there are many that go one way, and only a few go the other way. Now, those are the places in which we have choices. You're going to go down the, the wide gate or the narrow gate. You're going to go down the broad way or the difficult way. Are you going to go down the place where many go or a few go? And then he talks about the destination. One is described as destruction, and one is described as life. Now, now someday we'll, we'll, we'll do a series on not only heaven, but we'll go to the other place. We'll talk about hell. And, and we'll do an extended look at what the Scripture says about that. There's some debate, well, how, how long is hell going to be? Well, if you look at the Scripture and you look at the passages, it, it's as long as heaven's going to be. Well, how, how can you describe this destruction? Because he's, he's really not talking about the reality of being, but are you going to be, in a sense, state of well-being? It's not the absence of being in hell. It's the wellness of being. And, and really that word has the idea of being ruined in, in an in a experience of, of life being like it's destroyed, but it's not. How few people are going to go the narrow way, the difficult way, the way the majority does not go, pursuing life that only God can give? I was reading this past week trying to get some kind of handle on this. And it's interesting. If you look at Christianity in terms of those who profess to be Christians, maybe if, if you did a survey and say, you know, what is your religion? And, and some might say uh, Islamic, some might say Hindu, Buddhist. Some might say whatever. And, and, uh, in fact, the whatever is getting more and more popular. It's other. Or Christianity. If you look at professing numbers, those who attend church or might pick a box, some say it's, it's, it's possibly as high as 40% of people in the world claim some kind of connection with Christianity. But that's all forms of Christianity. And reading those who, who like to do these kind of things, some have said this, that if you were to look at people who even just go to church, their presumption is that maybe 50% of them actually have gone through the narrow gate, are going down the difficult path, are the few that will enter their life. I, I, was, I was telling Brian right before the service, I, I read one person this week who is not an alarmist. In fact, I, was, I had to had re-look it up right before I came into the service. I said, that can't, he can't be saying that. He said that some of the sources he has read, that there are those out there who say those who truly have gone down the narrow path are one half of one percent of the people in the world. Now, wherever you take the numbers, from 40% of the population in the world today to 50% of those who go to church, or one-half of 1%, or somewhere in between, this is what Jesus was trying to say to them. 
There is a gate that is broad, I mean, the gate that is wide, and there's the gate that is narrow. There is a path that is broad, and there's a path that is difficult. There is a path in which people are following it, and that's the majority many, and there are a few who are going down. The path that leads to life, and the most are going to destruction. How can this be when so many people profess faith? Well, let's look at Jesus' day. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. This is, this is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a, is a day in many ways where it's, it's, it's a day of great celebration and hope. In fact, they talk about this entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as a triumphal entry. Because it's, it's filled with praise. It's filled with enthusiasm. Uh, let, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was designed by God's hand. Verse 4. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So these who should have known more than anyone else, the identity of this person who was coming in Jerusalem would have been those who were well-versed in the Old Testament. Verse 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their clothes on them and set on them. And, a, and here's, here's the point here, verse 8, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches, this is where you get palm sunny, palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before, and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come in to Jerusalem, all the city was moosing. Who is this? This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They, they, they saw Jesus coming in, fulfilling Scripture, and they were filled with praise. So much that the religious crowd told them, well, can't you quiet them? Can't you... Get him to stop praising you. And Jesus said even the rocks would start to cry out. There was filled with enthusiastic praise. He had captured the entire city. And, and if we had had a religious survey on that, what is Palm Sunday about? It's proclaiming Jesus is the son of David. It's not about palm branches. It's not about pretty flowers. It's about Jesus, the prophet the one who came to save us. Hosanna means save us. Save us now. Filled with presumed faith. But let's move the story on. Turn to Matthew 27. Beginning at verse 15. This is after Jesus has been tried and comes to Pilate. Now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release into the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? 
Barabbas or, or Jesus who is called Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife said to him, saying, I have nothing to do with that just man. For I've suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us. And on our children. There's a gate. And that gate is. One of the gate is narrow. And the other is wide. There's a path that's broad. And, and one that's difficult. There is a direction. In which many will go. And few will go. One will be destruction. And one will be life. Many will say it and sing it, but they don't mean it. The multitude on that day shouted out Hosanna to the son of David and then just days later yelled to have him crucified. And we need to get it, live it, but make sure you got it. I think most of us would have thought there was a significant amount of people within that multitude that had gotten it. But it wasn't much longer till it was clear they hadn't. Jesus finishes his message with some other strong words and we won't necessarily deal with them in any depth, but Let's move on. Well, how do you know if you've really gotten it? True words of faith will show itself in the fruits of one's life. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 21. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. And then these strong words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
there are a variety of passages I put on your outline this morning. I won't even read through them. But in it, it says that, that there's only one, only one response that will ensure that we've really gotten it. And that's coming to God and just really pleading that, that we need His gracious forgiveness that was won for us on the cross. But the way to really know whether that has been an honest plea of God's mercy for our own, our own life is, does it begin to live out in how we live? You know, Jesus said of those who were false teachers, false prophets, that you can really know them by the fruits of their life. And of course, that's true for all of us. Charles Spurgeon said this, that you and your sins must separate or you and your God will never come together. You know, there's a couple Gospels. One is the Gospel of human achievement and the other Gospel is divine accomplishment. As we think about our sins being forgiven, there's another act that happens when we become a child of God. Theologians put it this way. It's when God imputes his righteousness to us. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is all about. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, it's those who came to him pleading with how, how much they had done for him. They had done miraculous signs and they had participated in all kinds of religious activity. And he said, depart from me. Not that I once knew you and now I'm kicking you out. I have never known you. And why? Because they had never come to their point in their life they recognized they weren't worthy on their own. That they desperately need to cry out for God to forgive them. Someone has well said, the ground at the cross is level. And anytime somehow that we think that we can make it on our own, we'll never make it. And see, that crowd wanted something else than for Jesus to deal with their sin. And because of that, they were easily persuaded to go down the path most traveled. True faith will begin, first of all, in demonstrating total humility before God. Desperately crying out that He would have mercy on us. It's not simply praying a prayer. It's God, God, will you have mercy on me? Finally, we know we really got it when, you could put it this way, when you understand you really believe the parts of the Bible you put into practice. Matthew seven twenty four to the end of the chapter. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who says these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the floods blew, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. That he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. See, when Jesus spoke, uh, you know, people listened. 
Now, some people responded and some didn't, but they could not deny that when he spoke, he spoke the truth authoritatively. And they couldn't, they couldn't stand on or sit on the fence. It was an either-or challenge. Which gate are you going to go into? Which, which path are you going to follow? Are you going to go with the majority or the few? Are you going to go toward that which will end up in destruction or that which will end up in life? What are you going to build your life on? See, it's not simply praying a prayer and saying, now I'm going to do whatever I want the rest of my life. It's saying, this, this is my life. This is what's going to be the foundation for who I am. And then the rest of my life is simply looking to how I can please Him and who I am and what I do. Let me ask you this morning, are you really ready for Easter? If, if we had looked at that crowd on Palm Sunday, with they're ready for whatever comes next. I mean, they're, they're, they're singing out of the top of their lungs, Hosanna, save us, save us now. That was all lip service. We're, we're only ready for Easter. We're only ready for the next day. We're only ready for the next moment. Our faith is genuine. It was April Fool's Day. There's a lot of, lot of foolish jokes, pranks that might be pulled this day. But Jesus did not, he didn't want to pull a joke. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to deceive or surprise anybody. And that's why, that's why Jesus entered this world, to declare openly and clearly there's only one way. Have you got it? Do you really know for sure that if this was your last day, you could stand before God Convinced that your life was right before Him. Because He paid the debt we could not pay when He went to the cross and rose again. Let's pray. Father, each of us will stand alone before God. And each of us need to decide whether we're going to stand based on our own goodness, our own merits, or on the finished work of Jesus Christ, paying the penalty for our sins. When he suffered a horrible death, and the sin of the world was placed on him. Father, if there's anyone still on the fence or are playing games with you, might be this the day when they cross that line. I want to just lead us in a very simple expression of faith. If you've never made this commitment and are sincere about it, might you pray this prayer today. Dear Lord Jesus,
I ask you to have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me and rose again. I want to follow you with all that I am. I'm all in. I pray this in faith and sincerity. Amen.